0: All right, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up to the book, the book of Luke chapter 14. We're going to finish chapter 14 this morning. Um, we began Luke a long time ago, and we, uh, we entered it saying uh, it was going to take two years. And uh, found out this week it is going to take two years. In fact, we're going to finish this August. I know you guys think that's impossible, but you just wait and see. Uh, we're going to finish this August, and um, we've, we've kind of outlined all that, excited about what that looks like. Um, but you are going to need a Bible this morning. Uh, that can be on your phone. It can be in your hand. It can be in the pew in front of you. That doesn't matter. And you're also going to need some sermon notes. I hope you grabbed a bulletin when you came in. Those sermon notes are going to be quite helpful um, to you this morning as we, we, uh, we begin our process. And uh, many of you know this month we've been doing, uh, we've kind of been doing a, a campaign called Live Love, uh, which is, is just about us loving God, reading his word every day, uh, coming, coming to worship every week, uh, those kind of things. And then once a month we've kind of thrown out a way to go out and to love people. Uh, and so this uh, month's challenge we call the Express Lane Blessing. And it was, it was going to the grocery store, going to the gas station, uh, we do when you're getting a haircut, uh, basically, and you just, you want to bless somebody, you want to pay uh, for their item or whatever, and just tell them, hey, listen, God's blessed me, and, uh, and I, I, I want you, you know, I wanted to bless you, I want you to know God loves you, and He, he, he sees you, He cares about you. And so I've been sharing little stories uh, from people. And so this one says, uh, on Sunday night, uh, my husband offered to pay for uh, a man's groceries. He said the man was so shocked and appreciative that he said he was going to do the same thing for somebody else. Uh, Today, while at HEB, I wanted to do the same. And I looked around for someone who looked really needy. And you'd have to know who sent this email. Uh, uh, And uh, so I looked around for somebody that looked needy, and I didn't see anyone that fit my idea of needy. So I decided to offer to pay for the groceries of the woman in front of me. I asked God to let it be a blessing. When I offered, she asked, "'Are you sure?' I told her God had really blessed me, and yes, I'd like to. And she picked up her groceries. As she picked up her groceries, she was smiling so brightly, and she said, "'This is amazing how this works. One day I did this when a woman's card didn't work, and I paid hers. Now somebody's doing this for me.'" Uh, I asked if I could hug her for doing that, and we shared a hug as well as a blessing. Maybe she'll be encouraged to do it again uh, as the man will do it for someone else. And the blessings will continue to multiply. Uh, it, it's, it's just about the end of the month, but it's not too late. Uh, and, and it doesn't, listen, don't let the calendar stop you either. If maybe you've been trying to get up that gumption and encouraged to do it, uh, it's out of your comfort zone. I get it. Um, For some of us it comes easier because we talk to strangers all the time for some of you talking to a stranger You would rather die. I get it. I really do Um, But we have been blessed and so I want to challenge you. uh, Go ahead and be that blessing Uh, Let's pray this morning as we prepare our hearts to study God's word Uh, father. We come before you and uh, And we just want to admit right now that one of the reasons hopefully the main reason we showed up here this morning is because we are people that deeply need you. We don't come here because we've got it all figured out. We don't come here simply out of duty. But we come here uh, because we are still a people that deeply need you. And we need to hear from you now. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you in to take your proper place and to be our teacher and to be our guide, to teach us the Word of God and to write it on our hearts that we might have the will to obey it, and to live it. Jesus, be glorified and be lifted up in all that we do here today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was cleaning out. I was helping Cole clean out his closet, and and you have to understand, the parsonage doesn't have a ton of storage. So like half his closet has my suits in it, and then the back half has all his mom's clothes that like dresses and stuff, she, a wedding dress stuff. She, so it, it it's kind of the catch all closet, right? And so he he and, and then come on, he's twelve. So I mean, it was just. It was bad. And uh, so we pulled everything out of the closet. We're back. And as I did, um, these things were just on the ground. they were just floating around. I was like, what on earth is this? And so I I began to kind of look through them. And these were all the love notes that Hope wrote me while we were dating. And I I mean, I I really, I want to read you some because I I just want you to know she was infatuated with me. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I I just want you to know this, you know, some of them aren't even appropriate for church. They're so hot and steamy. Okay. But uh, I really wanted to share those with you. I, I, I can't. I asked for her permission she said no uh, so so i thought instead what i'd do i'd share with you guys a little love note that i had written to her just so you guys could see you know uh that, that hey i used to have it There there's a day and I, I want you to know uh see this is handmade ladies i didn't buy this at heb you know all those cards by the way uh you know you know some other woman just wrote those and as men we slap our names on those that doesn't count right so this is this is handcrafted goodness here right so uh, just, just, and you guys, you guys rate me. You can tell me how well I did back in the day. Uh, Hope, I've never really been big. It's Valentine's Day, in case you couldn't tell by the heart, right? It's not just love, Valentine's Day. Uh, it says, Hope, I've never really been big on Valentine's Day, but I think that's because I didn't know what love was until I met you. It's a pretty good start, right? Pretty good start. You're my best friend. You're the last person running through my mind when I fall asleep. And the first one I find myself thinking about when I wake up. I love everything about you. I love the way that you worship and sing in the car when you think that nobody's looking. I love the way that you pray. Like you've got some special connection to God that the rest of us are still trying to figure out. You're more more beautiful than words can express. And you make me laugh like no one else on earth. Speaking of laughing... I love your laugh, especially when it turns into that cute little snort thing you do. I guess what I'm trying to say is you're my number one girl. I love you more than Jennifer, Amy, Melissa, or Heather. Let it sink in. (laughs) Now, if this were real, (laughs) trust me, I'm smarter than that. I'm not smart, but I'm smarter than that. If this were real, what would be wrong with that? What's that? The last sentence. The last sentence. You mean the part where I said you're my number one girl? I said, I said, I love you more than all these other people. Oh, that's the problem. That's the problem. And you know what? You're absolutely right. That is the problem. Because you, you, you see, and, and this, is, this is huge, the mere existence of a number two, the mere existence of a number two destroys the significance of number one. I'm going to say that again, the mere existence of number two destroys the significance of number one in a covenant relationship. That's the heart of our text today, guys, in Luke chapter 14. So I want you to see this with me. I'm in Luke 14. Uh, I'm starting in verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, "...his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost and see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish." I suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit for neither the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. So large crowds are following Jesus as he's focused on the cross. And, and, and his invitation to them is simple, right? Hey, guys, you all go out and grab a friend. I mean I mean it. Everybody go get a friend right now, and you tell them to come, and you just tell them to show up. Uh, it's going to be a free event, he says, right? Let's, let's pack out this place. We're really going to make this thing a movement. You just need to go. You need to grab others. You need to bring them with you. And you need to tell them that nothing else is going to be required of them except the fact that they come. This is totally free, right? That's what he says. Oh, not, not in your text, not in mine either. In fact, Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, just bring anyone. It doesn't matter. Nothing's required. All they have to do is show up. Jesus never says, all you have to do is show up. It, it, it's just not in there. In fact, he kind of says the opposite. It, instead of telling them, go out to the highways and byways, find everybody that'll show up. Tell them it's free. Tell them it'll cost them nothing. Jesus says, in fact, to the people that are there, are you sure that you're in the right place? Because I am heading to the cross, and anybody that wants to follow me is going to go in that direction as well. He's he's saying, listen, there's there's a great cost to to where I'm headed. And, and, And for me, this is where the tension of the gospel comes about, right? Because the Bible says that salvation is the free gift of God. Uh, that's what it says, Romans 3, uh, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, what? Freely uh, by his grace through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so, so the Bible says that salvation is free, and yet Jesus here in this passage says it's going to cost you everything. I want you to feel that tension. In fact, that tension is so important. It's so important that we understand it that, that I, i'm i'm going to say if you walk out of here with just one truth today let it let it be this it's our guiding principle it's our banner statement this morning ready that salvation is the free gift that cost us everything salvation is the free gift that cost us everything right I guess what I mean by that, of course, listen, there's no way that you can earn it. When, when I say it costs you everything, this has nothing to do with you earning it. And here's why you can't earn it, because it's impossible to earn, right? Because the Bible says that God is perfect. He's holy, holy, holy. He is perfect. And it says that we, uh, to be in his presence, by the way, you've got to be perfect. But the Bible says all have sinned as we just saw. So we've sinned. We've lost perfection. Once you lose it, can you ever gain it back? It's impossible. It's impossible for someone that that has made a mistake to be mistake-free. You cannot go back and undo your transgressions. It's impossible. You'll never be as if you've never sinned on your own and by yourself. You can't go back and erase the past. It is impossible. Therefore, we all stand in a condition where we fall short of the glory of God and His holiness and perfection. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life, right? Because to be in God's presence, you have to be perfect. So, so he came and he fulfilled that condition of the law that demanded perfection that we never did. See, he never sinned. He never lost step with God. And when he died, he died in our place. And God said, I'm going to accept the gift of That that he laid down his own life, his death on the cross that he didn't deserve. I'll accept that as payment for the death that you deserve if you will believe in him. John says it this way, right? John, John, John says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul would say in the book of Ephesians that this act, this thing called salvation that comes by believing that Jesus has done this for us, by putting our faith and hope and trust in him and in God, that God is truly accepting this sacrifice as a payment for our sin. That Ephesians says that this entire act, this entire process called salvation is all by grace, it says. It's by grace that we're saved. And it's the gift of God and it's not by work so that none of us could boast. It's not just so we couldn't boast. It's because we couldn't do it. It'd be impossible, right? And, and, and so get this, get this tension. Salvation is this completely free gift from God. And yet Jesus says it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us everything. Why? Why? Because it requires something of us to receive it. It requires something of us to receive it. So I, I just want you to think through this with me. How many lives uh, do you have? Just one, right? Just one, right? And I want you to think through your life for a second because there's ways to think about it. I can only live one life. I, can, I like to think of it this way. How many lives can you carry, okay? Now, women are amazing, right? I mean, the, the, the fact that they can grow a life inside of them that like, is astounding to me, that's amazing. But I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about life as a whole with all of its burdens, with all of its responsibilities, with all of its difficulties, with all of its trials. How many, how many of you are struggling to carry the one life you have right now, Amen. How many of you are feeling heavy laden this morning, amen? Okay, so here's the deal. How many of you could, could say to me today, oh, no problem, I can carry a whole nother life right now? Anybody? No, not so much, right? So, so, so I want you to see this. All of us are heavy laden. All of us are burdened. All of us are really overburdened by the one life that we're living. And it's not a perfect life. And, and, and so here's Jesus, and, and he's offering us another life. And that's what it is. It's an eternal life. It's his life. It's his perfect life. That is the offer that's on the table, it's eternal life. But we can't carry two lives. It's impossible. We're already overburdened. We're already overstretched. We're already overcommitted. There is no way to pick up the life of Christ without doing something first. So here's the requirement. In order to receive this life of Jesus, this eternal life, we have to lay down our own. That's the exchange. That's the exchange. And it has to be because it is impossible for anyone to carry around two lives. And so we've got to exchange our lives for the very life of God, for the very life of Christ. And so the banner uh, statement of our conversation this morning is this thing called salvation is the free gift of God that cost us everything. It costs us everything to receive it. It costs us everything to follow. And so this morning, what I want to do with you very simply is walk through the text and just count the cost. What does Jesus mean when he says, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you everything. Three things, three things he mentions in the text. Okay. First and foremost, when Jesus says that he means that he wants to be your life. He wants to be your life. Period. Look at verse twenty six and twenty seven. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, yes, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying that we are supposed to hate those people? Of course not, right? What's the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture? Love people. That's it. If we're going to sum it up, right? Love God with all your heart, strength, soul, mind, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. So the second greatest commandment is to love people. So Jesus clearly is not saying actually physically go hate those people. Uh, Some of the guys in my small group were joking with me and they took a picture of this text I had this week. And he's like, yeah, I can't wait to hear which of my parents I'm supposed to hate. Of course, he's not talking about physical hate. In fact, uh, in Jewish culture, this was one way that you could show a greater affection for, uh, for somebody. For somebody to say that in in comparison to your love for this person, you hated this person. You think about Jacob and and, uh, his love for Rachel, his hate, it said for Leah. Did he really hate Leah? No. But he loved Rachel so much. And and specifically, when it's used in this kind of context, in this kind of like this, specifically, it is used to talk about the greatest affection that one could ever have. You see, Jesus is saying he doesn't just want to be number one on your list. He doesn't just want to be number one on your list because remember, the existence of a number two destroys the significance of number one. Jesus is saying he should be the list. Jesus wants to be your entire life. That's the cost. That's the bar. Okay? When it comes to your love for him, he is the pursuit, the primary pursuit of your entire life. Life. And for too long, I feel like in the church, we've probably uh, taught this the wrong way. We have asked you time and time again, whether or not Jesus is first place in your life. And I think we've got to change the conversation. We can't ask that question anymore. What we need to ask instead is, is Jesus your life? Because the existence of a number two destroys the significance of number one. Friends, this morning, I just ask you lovingly, is Jesus Christ your life? Because he's supposed to be. That's, that's the bar. And I want you to see this. This is huge. Because if he's not, if he is not your life, there is no way that you will pick up your cross and follow him to Calvary. You won't do it. You'll quit somewhere in between. I promise you. Okay? So it's going to cost you everything. What does that mean? First and foremost, it, it, it's going to cost you your life. Okay? Jesus wants to be your life. Number two, I want you to understand, it's not just your life, but that Jesus calls us to come and die. Jesus calls us to come and die. Okay, Look at verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Make no mistake about it, the invitation to carry a person's cross was an invitation to death. That's just... What it is. Jesus is looking at the crowds and he's saying, listen, I think you might be in the wrong place. Maybe you don't understand. I'm headed to the cross. And anyone that wants to come after me is going to have to do the same. He's going to have to pick up his cross and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Every person present that day that would choose to truly follow Christ died. Some of them physically or hung on a cross like Christ. Some of them were stoned to death. Some of them had a stake run through them. Some of them had to die to their desires. Some of them had to die to their ambitions. Some of them had to die to their plans. Some of them had to die to their vocation. Some of them had to pick up everything they possessed in life and run and start a new life. They sold all that they had. Some became missionaries, evangelists. All died in different ways, but all that followed died. The free gift of God comes at a high price, and the call of Christ hasn't changed, friends. It is still a call to come and die. We, we must learn to die to our self-concern. We must learn to die to our self-conceit. We must learn to die to our self-will. We must learn to die to our self-want. In other words, everything that we have lived our lives for up to the point of meeting Christ, we must learn to die to. That means that the altar of self that we have established must come crumbling down. The great kings in the Old Testament, do you remember what made them great? What set them apart? What did they do with the altars? They destroyed them. They destroyed them. Friends, this call is the same on our lives. We must destroy the altar to self that we have established because we know the only one that deserves an exalted position is Christ, right? And Christ uh, alone and, and and. Listen, it's not just uh, what John the Baptist said, which what he said is true. He says, you know, I I, uh, he must become uh, greater. I must become less. But it's actually a step further than that. I must die so that Christ may live in me. That's the call of the cross. Please understand it today. I I, I realize the cross is a foreign entity to us, right? We we can't even imagine what it's like to walk and to carry that thing because we don't walk anywhere. We'd throw it in the back of our pickup truck and be like, oh, that ain't too hard. Listen, listen. When Jesus says, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he's calling you to die, period. Understand it. Just because we're removed from this context doesn't change the meaning of the passage. We are still called to come and die. That is the cost. One more thing. We talk about the cost. It's going to cost us everything. What does it mean? Ready? Lastly. Jesus wants us to follow him. Cost us our life, cost us our death, (laughs) cost us our direction. A follower and a fan are um, two totally different things, by the way. And I know that's tough in the world we live in today with social media. Those lines have been completely blurred uh, between a follower and a fan because uh, we, we say that we follow people on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you're any of those things, you're a follower of, of those people is what it says. But all that means in today's world, of course, is that you keep up with what they say, with what they do, those things uh, you see, you see it, right? But, but that never demands anything of you. Seeing what somebody is doing never demands anything of you. You're a quote-unquote follower of that person, but all that really means is that you see whatever they're doing. You see where they're eating. You see where they're going. You, you see what their life is like. You see all the good pictures of, of, of their family that came out. You didn't see the one where everybody was screaming and throwing mud at each other, right? But you're a follower, really. That never demands anything. I hate to break it to you this morning, but that's not actually following. That's called being a fan. Because following demands a physical response. Following demands a physical response. Following isn't just about hearing uh, what someone else says uh, or or hearing about what someone else is doing. Following is about doing what they do. And, and, And this is the call of every Christian, not just to listen to Jesus, but to physically respond to Jesus and move from where you are to where He is so that you can do what He has been doing. Which is loving people, showing them the love of God. That's why James one twenty two says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That's why we incorporated that into our mission statement here, which we, we link that together with the two greatest commandments. Uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it comes out looking something like this. Uh, love God, love people, do something. Now, understanding the cost, these three things. Jesus wants to be your life. He calls you to come and die, right? And he calls you to follow. Understanding those uh, that the, the cost, Jesus then turns... And he tells the people two stories, which really should cause us to ask two questions, okay? And we're going to ask those questions. That's on the back of your sermon notes. Call them questions for reflections this morning. But there are two questions that should arise in our hearts when we read the remainder of the text. And here's the first question, ready? Um, Can I afford that? Can I afford that? Can I, can I really afford to, uh, to follow Jesus? And I, I'm in verse 28. He says, "'Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. "'Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost "'to see if he has enough money to complete it? "'For if he lays a foundation, he's not able to finish it. "'Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, "'saying this fellow began to build "'and was not able to finish.'" And listen, I know today in the modern church, we're all about the emotional decision. You've got to decide right now, this very moment, you've got to do it. But Jesus wasn't that guy. Jesus said, here's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. Now listen, I've got a life so much better than the, the burdens you've been carrying. You're weak and you're weary and you're tired and everything you're living for, it cannot move on past your life. It's going to die here with you, he says. But I've got something eternal. I've got something that lives forever that is in the very presence of God that's more beautiful than anything you could ever think or imagine. And and in that place, you can live a life where you actually store up treasures for yourself there and, and for eternity, you'll you'll be amazed in the presence and the glory of the one who created you. And the whole deep inside you will finally be filled and, and and you'll be made as you ought to be, right? So Jesus promises it. But to get that, to receive, to live that kind of life, it's called a life of abundance all through Scripture. It's a real, true, meaningful life that's completely satisfied. To live that kind of life, you've got to lay down yours. That is the cost, Jesus says. You can't carry two lives. And so he looks at the crowd, just like he looks at you and I today, and he says, are you prepared to do that? Can you afford it? And so the first question every man, every woman has to face when they read this text is, can I afford it? Can I afford it? Can I afford to make Jesus not just number one, but my very life, my heartbeat? Can I afford that? Can I afford today to die to my own ambitions, to my own desires, to my own will, and and honestly say, God, let your will be done? Can I afford it? God, God, can I afford to do these things? Can I afford to follow? So that's the very first question you have to ask. Can I afford it? And and here's why it's it's a big deal. And and God actually says, hey, stop and think about it. Because those that don't count the cost and they happily start off along the way and go, yeah, I want to end. I'm going to do it. If they haven't counted the cost, it says at some point. All of the emotions going to fade. And when the difficulty comes, this is the parable of the soils, that, that seed that sprouts up with joy, and the first time difficulty comes, it dies, it withers, it fades, never to return. And Jesus says that person is foolish. That person is foolish, and they're going to be ridiculed. Okay? So first and foremost, I, I ask you this question, can you afford... Uh, to follow Jesus this morning. The second story he tells is maybe even a harder question. Ready? And the question it arises is this Can you afford not to? Can you afford not to? So, what's the second story he tells? Uh, I'm there in verse 31. He says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. And the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Listen, I I love you and I think the world of you, but uh, you don't have an army of 10,000, friend. And God's army is much larger than 20,000, friend. And God's army, all of his angels are coming and all of uh, the sin and all of the struggles in this world are going to be set right. And and here's the deal. Just know he's coming. He may he may appear to be a long way off, but today is the day to make peace And so just as I would earnestly ask you can you afford to follow jesus with uh, probably more uh Sincerity I would ask can you afford not to Can you afford not to because a reckoning will come a reckoning is coming And when god returns His wrath is going to be poured out He's, he's patient, He is gracious, but the world will pay. It will, it's gonna happen. Let today be the day that you make peace, okay? Let today be the day that you make peace. I Pray with me if you don't mind. Father, um, I love you. I wanna confess this morning that all too often, I love you like the card I read this morning. I love you more than A and B and C and D. When I come face to face with this text, God, I realize that is not good enough. You call me higher. You call me up. So lovingly convict my heart this morning. Let Let me feel guilty if I need to feel guilty. But don't let me feel shame. Because that's not how you work, God. Call me up by the power of your Spirit call me into yourself today remind me what the cost looks like that I might follow please in Jesus name I pray this amen. amen amen so we're gonna have an old school invitation I mean old school old school uh cause that message runs the gamut somebody here today is here and you've never followed Jesus ever ever never ever ever and, and I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna point to the last story uh God is coming back Jesus died He really did. He he really stepped out of heaven into humanity. He really lived a perfect life. He really died on the cross. He was really buried and he really rose again. You can check that out. It's a historical fact. He also really ascended into heaven 40 days after all that. And he is really coming back. And when he does, when he does, so is judgment. Today, you need to make peace today. Don't wait because you don't know what your tomorrow holds. So I I, I just first and foremost, I, I would say that to you, okay? But for some of us here, uh, our issue is that we stopped paying the price somewhere along the lines, right? We did. We did. Somewhere along the lines, something happened to us, maybe something even good. And Jesus was no longer our life. He was just, quote unquote, number one. By the way, that, that question is a loaded question, isn't it? We ask in church, how do you say today that Jesus is the first thing in your life? We all say, yeah, and then we look at our time. He's not, right? I think this morning we just need to confess before God, not only, Jesus, are you not number one on my list, which that's not even enough, you're definitely not at a point where my heart beats for you every moment, every day. We've got to step out of this worldly kingdom. We've got to step into his. And we need to accept it. We need to to hang on to it. We need to cling for it. This is what we aim for, friends. It's our aim. Are are you going to do it perfectly this week? Anybody? Anybody going to kill it every day? You're going to... Yes, every day is my life. Probably not. But it should be your aim every single day to make Jesus your life, okay? Remember, the existence of a number two destroys the significance of number one. It does. Just like I read you this letter and you laughed at me. Okay? Okay, make him your life. Uh, some of you, it's just an area of your life and you know what it is. You're clinging to it and you don't want to die to it. You like control. That's called an altar. You've built it up. Uh, that's where idol worship happens. You've made yourself the idol. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to call you to do what all, all the great men and women of the Bible were known for doing. Ready? Grab an ax today. Grab an ax and chop it down just come before God, call that repentance, and say, God, I've built up this thing. It's not of you. It's of me. And today I pray that you would destroy it. You cut it down. You are the only one that deserves to be exalted in my life, Jesus, right? Okay. So, uh, let's do this. This is our invitation. If you want to come forward and do this, that's fine. Uh, especially if, if you've never um, accepted Christ, you've never made peace with God. I definitely want to talk to you today. Um, but, but maybe you're just that Christian. You just want to come and you just want to pray. We'll invite you to do that. You can also uh, pray where you are. But we're going to ask everyone to stand up. Uh, if you don't mind, just stand where you are. It kind of gives us some freedom. It gets our uh, back ends unglued. Um, Father, uh, by the power of your spirit, just work in us here this morning, please, as you call us unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Alan's going to play for just a second. You want to talk to somebody about Jesus, I'm going to be right here. Um, But if you just want to come and pray, you can either do that here up up at these steps. Uh, That does mean you've got something wrong in your life. So, I mean, you've got to be okay with admitting that uh, amongst other people. Uh, Or you can just bow your head where you are and pray. We're just going to give the Lord a few minutes to work in our hearts, okay?